Good morning, church. The day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, if you don't look around sometimes while we're singing, you're really missing out on some really interesting things. Like, for example, how much Blake Riojas loves singing the bass part. I mean, like, just as that bass part would come in, he'd lean over towards Madison and go, do, 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 do. I mean, it was really priceless to see that. And it uh, brought a smile to my face. I love it when we can rejoice together in song and celebrate who God is and what he does, what he continues to do for us. And certainly, as Dwight already said, if you're visiting with us today here in person or online, we are honored to have you as our guests. And you have encouraged us by coming here today, and we hope that we can do the same for you. I would encourage our members as you look around, maybe you don't see, maybe you see someone you don't really know. Well, don't let that person leave without blessing them with your warm greeting. So I would encourage you to do that. Did I already say Psalm 118? Did I already do that? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. It's amazing. That's what sleepless nights will do to you. Anyway, it is great to be with you today. Um, want to welcome Jeremy and Hannah Parker again. We announced it last Sunday, but Hannah wasn't feeling well, but they're here today. Jeremy and Hannah, if you raise your hands, they are new members here at Oak Crest. Great to have you here. Great to have Jeremy and Hannah. And if others are looking for a church home, you have found it. It's good to have more Parkers here. <laughs> Kyle says it's good to have more Parkers here. And that may be true. That may be true. As Dwight alluded to during the first three weeks of this month, we have been focusing on Romans chapter 12. And it's an appropriate chapter for us to look at, transition chapter, because for 11 chapters, first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has done a masterful job of sharing with us just how awesome our God is, just how wonderful his mercies are, how he blesses us not only today, but he will continue to bless us. He's blessed people in the past and just the way that he takes care of us, the way that he loves us, the way that he helps us to grow in our faith, the way that he helps us to give reassurance of the hope that we have. It's amazing. And so in chapter 12, it's like Paul pauses and says, you know, because of all these amazing things that I've been writing about, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the appropriate response. How should we respond to God and his mercies? And so chapter 12 is a shift. Now it's a response. And, and he begins by saying it's certainly appropriate because of what God has done and continues to do for us to live lives that are pleasing to him to honor him with our lives, to live lives that are transformed by the renewing of our mind, seeking to do his will more than any other person's will throughout life. That would be a life worth living. And then we looked at how Paul would say, and we're all members, individual members of a greater body. Each of us has been given gifts, equally important with anyone else's gifts in this body. And together, we use those gifts to serve God, to serve one another. And certainly that is an appropriate response to God and his mercies. And then last week, we considered from Romans chapter 12, the fact that God wants us to cling to what is good. Today's lesson kind of builds a little bit on that, about what it means to cling to what is good. But this is an appeal that I would quite candidly say to you that if we could kind of just pull this one out and not have to look at it, uh, we wouldn't be disappointed because this is a tough one. 
This is a difficult one. If you were Jehoiakim in the Old Testament, king in the Old Testament, and you didn't like something, you would just have your scribe take the penknife and cut it out and say, we're just going to kind of look past that. So metaphorically speaking, some of us, I think, kind of just take our penknife and maybe take this one out because it is challenging and it is difficult, but it's squarely there between two sandwich thoughts that Elijah read for us. In chapter 12, verse 17, he begins by saying, do not repay evil for evil. And then similarly, at the end of that chapter, verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil. So what is, what's the appeal that's sandwiched between this idea of don't repay evil with evil and don't be overcome by evil? Because I think in essence, what he's going to tell us is that just be sure that you focus on this so that you are not overcome by evil. As I mentioned, I'm going to give you a fair warning. This is not an appeal that we easily embrace. It's really not in our nature to be like this. It's kind of like, you know, when Jesus talks over Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other cheek also, we would really prefer that not being there. We really would. Because that's not the normal reaction I have if someone wants to slap me. And so that's kind of where we go with this thought today. But I think we're also going to see that it is a thought that is absolutely as critical to us being bright, shining lights for God as anything else we could preach about or talk about or think about or pray about or live for. Every one of us, every one of us knows someone in our lives, whether it's at work, in our neighborhood, at school, hopefully not in our family, but we all know someone who rubs us the wrong way. There's just something about them. Maybe they're rude, they're impolite, they're unkind, may even make our blood boil. And I bet right now you're thinking about who that person is, and I hope that you're not that person for someone else. But we all have someone like that in our life, maybe even argumentative. Years ago, I had a couple come in for marriage counseling, and it was the very first time we'd gotten together. And uh, as they started talking about their issues, this went on for about 10 or 15 minutes, and I was listening to everything they were saying. And you didn't have to really be um, intense in listening to realize that after just a few minutes, that no matter what she said, he wanted to argue about it. He did not agree with one thing she was saying. I mean, to the point that honestly, had I interrupted right then and said, you know, isn't that a beautiful blue sky? I am convinced he would have said, it's really not blue. It's kind of blue gray, but it's really not blue. It's kind of hazy. Well, after about 15 minutes of this, and remember, patience is not one of my virtues, but after about 15 minutes of hearing this argumentative spirit, I finally interrupted. This is classic. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you don't agree with anybody about anything, do you? And he said, no, that's not right. You proved my point. Thank you. You proved my point. You know, we all have people like that in our lives. And it's interesting to see how we all react to people like that. What is, what is your reaction to an encounter like that? Some of us get into a kind of retaliatory mode Maybe some of us get into an idea of what's payback? How about avoidance? What about revenge? How do I react to people 
that are disruptive in my life, that cause me to have my heartburn go up or my blood boil. And so then we read Romans chapter 12, and now we see the contrast to God, to the worldly pattern for addressing that, which is all these negative things I just mentioned. And now Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this morning, I want us to spend just a few moments talking about what that looks like, living at peace with everyone. Now, the first thing, for those of you who would remember it, and I confess that I would be one of those who clearly remember it, this idea of peace is not the one that we remember from the hippie movement in the 60s where all you had to do was just flash a peace sign. And that was it. That was the issue. That was the, that was the message of peace was just flash the peace sign and, and, and everything was going to be better. God's message about peace is so much deeper, is so much more profound than that. In fact, I'll even mention again later, but it's interesting to note that when Jesus talks about peace in the Beatitudes, he does not say blessed are the peace lovers, for they will be called children of God. He says blessed are the peacemakers. There's a huge difference between being a peace lover and a peacemaker. And I would suggest to you that what Paul is saying here about living at peace with everyone is about being convicted about the importance of being peacemakers and not just peace lovers. There's no doubt in my mind that one of the greatest evils in the world, and by the way, the base, the most elementary definition for evil would be a lack of goodness. We know that it's sinful, we know there's wrongdoing, but the essence of evil is that there is a lack of goodness. We live in a world where goodness is in short supply. And I think one of the most evil things that we do is we do not really pursue peace seriously. We always want our own way. Over in James, James would write, why is there fighting and quarrels among you? You want something, but you don't get it. The product of a very self-centered world is quarreling and fighting. It's the absence of peace. I really believe that when we do not pursue peace, certainly among us as believers, that we're really following the world's pattern of saying, you know how you respond to evil? You respond to it with evil. Now, I know that you probably have memories of things that your folks or your grandparents or aunts or uncles, older brothers, sisters said to you, but there's one phrase that I remember my dad saying more times than I can possibly remember, and I know that sometimes, I, as he was saying, and I just roll my eyes and just kind of, you know, just say it too. But it was so true. Two wrongs do not make a right. Two wrongs do not make a right. Paul is saying here that the answer to evil is not more evil. The answer to evil is goodness. The answer to evil is pursuit of peace. So this is not just a theological concept. Because what he shows us here, beginning in verse 17 is finding out that if you really want to fight evil, you need to fight it with good. We need to fight it with what is good and what is right. And I I think in a sense that he is going to give us three building blocks for this. Just 
humor me here as we look at three possible building blocks, and each one is successively more demanding than the next when it comes to what it means to live at peace with everyone. Each one is successively more challenging and demanding for our lives. The first thing he says, and we will look down at verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. I really love this because what he reminds me of is that there are going to be times when no matter what happens, that kind of godly peace, getting along with one another, is just, it's just not achievable. But, but this is what I want you to notice, and this is what I think is critical here, is that, listen to me carefully, this peace that he's talking about may not always be possible, but don't let that be because you didn't pursue it. It's one thing to say, I, we just can't do it because he's not taking the first step or she's not taking the higher road. No, 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 no. Paul's saying it's not about what others are doing. It's about what are you doing, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. So the first challenge here when thinking about peace is he challenges us to take the first step. As difficult as that may be, as painful as that may be, he says you need to take that first step to be able to live at peace with everyone. He would go on to say in Romans 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Notice the word do. He didn't say think or ponder or wonder, but there's action here. Do whatever you need to do to try and pursue that peace. And in Hebrews, the writer would say, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort to seek that peace. It's quite possible during our thoughts that are being shared this morning from God's word that you're already thinking about who that person or those people may be. I hope that something that God is sharing with us through his word is going to be inspiring you to say, you know what, maybe I need to be that one that's taking that first step to try and achieve that peace. The second thing he says, remember, each one is going to be more difficult. Not only are we going to do whatever we need to do as far as it depends on us, I'm going to offer the olive branch. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that there's peace between us. The second one is really a trust factor. And that's where we read in verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul is saying, you know, we have a just God. And he will right all wrongs. But here's the critical thing. Do we really believe it? And... Not just saying we believe it, but do we actually show it? Do we actually live that way? Or do we sometimes really wonder if he's as connected as we would like for him to be on all the injustices and things that are taking place in our life? And we decide that it would just be easier to take matters in our own hands. You know, God's too busy for this. He's not going to want to. He doesn't really care about that. He doesn't really care about this justice being done. Couldn't be further from the truth. God says, you can trust me. My justice is perfect. Everything will be dealt with in time. 
And that shows complete trust in God. Maybe we need to focus more on loving people more and controlling people less. In Romans chapter 15, Paul would say, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. If we want to be peacemakers, we need to learn what it means to trust in him and his promises that he will make sure that things are are taken care of so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul would go on to say, and here's a different perspective about this whole matter of peace. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Hmm. So as a consequence of how am I dealing with people, am I showing a mind that is controlled more by the flesh, conforming to the world that he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2? Or am I showing a life that is controlled by the spirit that's being transformed by the renewing of my mind? Do we really trust that God will address these things? And finally, number three. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the one that really takes this whole idea of what it means to live at peace with everyone beyond just an an intellectual concept. Or just you just kind of sitting in your easy chair at home and saying, "Mm, yeah, I'm pretty much at peace with everyone. And if I'm not, I'll just avoid them. I'll just do what I can to make sure that I don't have to cross paths with them. And that's an easy approach. That's certainly the worldly approach. But he says in 20 and 21, and one of these is a very curious thought, by the way. It's really an interesting thought. But he says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So not only does he say, listen, Peace is not just a lack of animosity. It's not just that there's a lack of anger or hard feelings towards someone else, but it's actually proactively seeking what you can do to make things right with that person. Because earlier on he said, remember, be careful to do what is right in everyone's eyes. And then you remember, as long as it depends on you, do the right thing. And now he's going to be very constructive. He's talking about in a very physical way, This is how that looks if you really want peace with everyone. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them thirst. Satisfy that thirst. If they need encouragement, be the one to encourage them. If they need the forgiveness, be the one to forgive them. And then this really curious thought. When he says, and I have to confess for years, I totally, totally misunderstood what this was saying. Because it just showed once again just... I guess just my, the fleshly nature was taking over as far as thinking, yeah, that's the way we ought to deal with it. Because then he says, when you do this, you know, you're feeding the hungry. I mean, you're feeding the enemy and you're giving something to drink to your enemy who's thirsty. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I don't know about you, but my thought about that all along was, yeah, you just, just stab him in the back. Just make him feel awful because you're going to do something so good. You're going to look so righteous. You're going to feel so good about your holiness. And you're going to be able to go to bed at night and say, man, did I ever stab them? Boy, I got back at them. They're going to wake up one day and say, boy, Scott was such a good guy. And I was such a heel. And I was so awful. And I was so bad. I'm just going to burn up their heads. They're just going to burn with anger. 
could not be further from what Paul was saying. Someone blessed me years ago with a book entitled Strange Scriptures That Perplex the Western Mind. You ever see that, Tim? You need to get it. Strange Scriptures, you too, Tyus. It would really be great for teaching your young people. Strange Scriptures That Perplex the Western Mind because what this author did is she focused on several verses throughout the Bible that unless you understand the culture of the Middle East, you just don't get it. Like I just displayed with what that means. But what she explained, and all of a sudden it just hit me like a brick, and that is that we have to remember that in that culture, especially back during that day, if there is one thing that was absolutely essential for living, not just existing, but living, it was fire. You had to have fire to be able to boil your water so that it was clean. You had to have fire to cook your food. You had to have fire to keep warm. You had to have fire to be able to see at night. I mean, fire was not just an option. Fire was absolutely essential for living. And so if your neighbor's fire went out in his tent or in his abode, the best thing you could do for that person was to gather up some coals from your fire, put them in those containers, and you see people walking around over there with them on their head, and you would fill up this container with these burning coals, and you would go to your neighbor, and you would give them life. That is just about as sacrificial as it could be. That was so far beyond just pity. That was exemplary of mercy. You want to give that person life. And so when we see our enemy and we feed them and we give them to drink, we're giving them life. And we're showing our concern for their well-being and their welfare. Because fire was absolutely essential. In James chapter 3, verse 18, James says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That is an awesome thought. As we seek to be peacemakers, God is going to give us a harvest of just doing more and more of the right thing for more people. It's contagious. If there was ever a time, and I suppose we could say it in every generation, but if there was ever a time when we needed peacemakers in this world, in a world where there seems to be so much animosity, name-calling, derogatory remarks, the world needs some peacemakers. The world needs some people who see that living at peace with everyone is what is ultimately pleasing to the God of peace. Living at peace with everyone does not mean condoning, much less approving of wrongdoing. I'm not here to say that we should just turn a deaf ear or turn our face and just ignore evil things and bad things that are taking place. But living at peace with everyone, it means I'm going to at least show respect in spite of maybe cultural, economic, political, or religious differences. I'm still going to show respect. I'm going to still take the higher road. I'm still going to seek to be able to let other people know that we can still have civil dialogue civil conversations, and have that kind of peace, that mutual respect for one another that God needs for us to have. As I said earlier, Jesus emphasized in the Sermon on the Mount that it's not about being peace lovers. 
but it's about being peacemakers. It's making sure that as far as there being peace with everyone, that I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that happens. It may not always happen, but it won't be because I wasn't trying. It's going to make sure that I am making sure that I completely trust God and his word, that he can take care of the vengeance. He can take care of payback. He can take care of whatever that needs to look like for that situation. I'm going to trust him to do that, and I'm not going to take it into my hands. And then finally, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to pour burning coals on that person's head by doing the right thing and giving them life-giving words. So we conclude with this thought from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. And listen here. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. I am confident that good days are ahead for this church family if we decide to seek peace and pursue it. If we decide to defeat evil with good. If we seek to do what is right and good in our neighbor's eyes. We need to be known as peacemaking people. Because Jesus is our peace. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he himself is our peace, that he divided that wall of hostility between people. He made sure that he was going to do everything within his power to make sure that we could have peace with God, and he did that by dying on the cross. He spared nothing to make sure that he knew that we knew how important it is for us to have peace with him and his Father. At this time, we have the opportunity to reflect on that in the Lord's Supper, to think about Jesus being our peace. Tim is going to come up and lead us in a prayer, be thinking about how blessed we are that we have a God who believes so strongly in having peace with us that the sacrifice of his son wasn't too much for him to do.